it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Good morning, Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to get to spend a little time with you, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me or over in East Hall or watching online. We're glad that you're with us. Let me get the first things out of the way. I know you're wondering, where is your new sports coat, right? And uh, for that, I can only say you can blame my wife. She, She never goes shopping and buys me sports coats. That must just be a coffee thing. So... Here I am in my normal attire, Uh, but I am here to talk to you about something new, and that is to continue to talk about this reimagined vision that Pastor Joe has been casting uh, for us and been leading us into. You you know, I love the way we're doing this, and of course, we're, we're doing this so well as Pastor Joe leads us, and that we have introduced to you where the church is going with our September series. And we're not launching it yet until January. And then we're taking all fall, nine weeks in the book of Acts, spending time showing you that what seems new, this reimagined vision, is actually new to us in some ways, but in other ways, not new at all. It's rooted in the Bible. As we read the book of Acts, what we're going to see is the same things they're committed to. Personal evangelism, sharing their faith with those around them, church planting and global missions are the very things we are committing to. That in many ways, what we're doing is simply continuing the story that God has been writing in the book of Acts. That the same movement of God that we see there is the same movement of God we want to see in Northeast Ohio. And let me just add that as a staff, we're very excited for you to grab hold of Reimagine, and we're encouraged by those of you who have Those of you who have taken the class or are taking the class and your notes of encouragement and excitement are are very, very motivating for us. We've been waiting for you to hear about this, waiting for you to get excited about it. And of course you have been and we're so grateful for that. And I hope the rest of you have yet to sign up for the class. We'll do so and catch what's going on. I hate to use the word contagious right now, but it is. It's it's. It's contagious in a a good way, in a non-mask kind of hand sanitizer kind of way. And I'm very, very glad for that. And I want to keep talking to you about that. In fact, uh, I want to keep talking about this movement of God and how we want to see a movement of God in Northeast Ohio. But, But before we continue in the book of Acts, I think it's really important that we step back and look at a little of the backstory. 
In fact, what we're going to find as we study the book of Acts is that there's a man seemingly at the center of the story. His name is Peter. He's going to preach a lot of sermons. He's going to exercise a lot of leadership, make a lot of decisions, be very courageous. But what I want to do is step back before the book of Acts and ask, where did this guy come from? Where did this courage and conviction come from? In order that we might say, what kind of people do we need to be in order to experience a movement of God? Peter did. He experienced an amazing movement of God as the church went from a few people hiding in a room to being a global phenomenon. So I want to ask, who was Peter? What kind of person was he in order that we might say, what kind of people do we need to be if we desire to see God do a similar thing in Northeast Ohio? And to do that, I hope if you take notes, uh, you will write down this outline, very simple, three points. And if you don't take notes, just kind of have this in your head as a mile marker to make sense of where we go. Three things I want to talk about. Number one, how do movements begin? Number two, how do movements die? And then number three, how do movements last? Okay, how do movements begin? How do movements die? And how do they last? Let's start with number one. How do movements begin? Well, that's a deep question. And as you know, as Americans living in 2020, if you want answers to deep questions, there's only one place to go, and that is social media. So you may have seen over the last couple of weeks, there's a video that's gone viral. There's a a kind of an interesting story behind it. There's a man in Idaho named Nathan Apodoka who works at a potato warehouse which I assume is only something they have in Idaho. And one day he's driving his 2005 Dodge Durango with 300,000 miles on it to work at the potato warehouse. And as a Dodge Durango with 300,000 miles on it is prone to do, it breaks down. So here he is broken down on the side of the road, needing to go to work at the potato warehouse. And he does what any normal person would do. He goes to the back of the Durango and grabs the skateboard that he keeps back there. And also grabs the jug of cran raspberry juice he was drinking and decides he will skateboard the rest of the way to work while drinking the juice. And, you know, that's a normal enough decision. But but what gets even more American about it is he decides he should film it. So while skateboarding and drinking cran raspberry juice, he films himself and puts it on something my son tells me is called TikTok. And he uploads a 15-second video of him skateboarding, drinking cran raspberry juice while singing along with Fleetwood Mac's song, Dreams. Because why not, right? And about the time Stevie Nicks says, it's all right, you can play it how you feel it, he turns to the camera and mouths the lyrics, and that ends the video. Now, he uploads it when he gets to work, because I guess they have great Wi-Fi at Potato Warehouses. And within an hour, he has one million views. In fact, it becomes a national phenomena, and if you haven't heard this story, you might be the only American left who hasn't, so you're welcome. In fact, it becomes such a phenomena that Mick Fleetwood, founding member of Fleetwood Mac, actually posts a video of him riding a skateboard, drinking cran raspberry juice, singing along with Stevie Nicks. The CEO of Ocean Spray Juice, of course, seizing on an opportunity, grabs his skateboard and records a video of himself skateboarding, singing along with Stevie Nicks. The lieutenant governor of Montana 
records a video on the campaign trail uh, uh, singing along with Stevie Nicks and drinking, you guessed it, cran raspberry juice. As we presently stand here, the video has over 50 million views. In fact, this is crazy. Dreams, the song by Fleetwood Mac, which came out in 1977, is currently on the top 40 charts. It's a phenomenon. One guy on a skateboard drinking cran raspberry juice, singing along with Stevie Nicks. Why? Well, if you've seen the video, you know why. Because here's a man who in 15 seconds is clearly happy. Life is good. And life is so good, and he's so, again, hate to use this word, contagious about its goodness that you watch the video, and in 15 seconds, you are convinced there is still goodness to life, and we can find it. And I can't think of a better message in 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of everyone yelling at each other about politics and what have you. I can't think of a message that resonates with us more than life is good, and there's goodness out there if you want to find it. All you need is a skateboard and some cran raspberry juice. You see, at the center of every movement is a person who really believes. At the center of every movement, be it political, social, religious, at the center of every great movement throughout human history is a person who genuinely, really, contagiously believes what they are saying. They believe it so strongly that it changes the way they live. They believe it so strongly that when their car breaks down on the side of the road, that's just a moment to find joy. They believe it so strongly that you can't help but look at them and go, they believe it so much, maybe I ought to believe it too. That's at the center of every great movement. In fact, that's at the center of the movement of Christianity. After all, what did we read in these two passages that Denise read for us? Twice, Peter is convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. The first time in Luke chapter 9, he says to Jesus, you are the Christ Meaning you are the one the Bible is about. You are the one God has promised. You are the son of God who's come to rescue us. In John 6, he says, where would I go, Jesus? How could I leave you, Jesus? You are the one who has the words of life. Peter believes. You see, we're going to find him in the book of Acts speaking courageously. We're going to find him in the book of Acts speaking truth to power, leading people, making decisions, being in the center of a movement. But what these passages tell us is long before that, there was simply this. He believed Jesus. And I say all that to say this. I want you to understand something. At the center of any great movement is not vision. It's not strategy. It's not leaders or leadership. At the center of any movement is simply belief, conviction, compulsion to act a certain way. And I say that to say this, that if Reimagine is going to witness a great movement of God in Northeast Ohio, I want you to hear me say that movement is not going to be because of the fancy screens we have or the lights we have or the incredible music that we have or the speakers that we have or the ministries, events, programs, the strategy, the, the photos. It's not even going to be because we have a phenomenal pastor in Pastor Joe. No, at the center of a movement is not any of those things. It is conviction, 
belief, certainty. It's going to be belief that fuels it. And that's why, by the way, I might add that we're taking nine weeks in the fall to show you that this is what God wants in order that you might buy in, that you might grab hold of it, that you might believe. That's how movements get started. Someone must be at the center, believing, convicted, compelling others to join them. But I want to show you something else, my second point, and that is how movements die. Not every video goes viral. In fact, most do not. Not every vision and strategy takes off. In fact, most do not. Not every organization does something great. Not every church witnesses a movement of God. In fact, most don't. So, So why is it then? It might be tempting to say if all it takes is us believing. I mean, if that's all it takes is us buying in, is us believing in in Jesus and what the Bible says about Jesus, then we're good. We're golden. This thing will work. I mean, after all, people are here who believe. Pastor Joe believes. The staff believe. You believe. That's why you're here. If that's all it takes, then for sure we will witness God do great things in Northeast Ohio, right? But here's the reality. Belief is not easy. It's not. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, whether you're here or you're watching online, please hear me say this. I think the temptation for you would be to look at us showing up every week and singing songs and raising our hands and clapping and sitting attentively while someone talks and go, man, it's just so easy for them. They just believe so well, so much. It just seems so hard to me. It's so challenging to me. I don't know how it comes so easily for them. But can I tell you something? If we were honest with you, if we could be honest with you, there's not a single person in this room who would say that belief is easy. It isn't. It isn't. In fact, I want to give you two reasons why it isn't. Two reasons that movements die. By the way, We could probably think of a hundred reasons, but let's zero in on these two, and I'll call them good times and bad times. The The thing that kills a movement is good times and bad times. In fact, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 9. Let's look at the first passage that Denise read. I'll just talk about it. She read it so well. You'll, you can read it for yourself in Luke 19, beginning in verse 18. And I want to set the, the context here. Jesus is ministering. His public ministry has taken off. His popularity is at an all-time high. He is incredibly popular. He's done miracles. He's, he's taught things that are very interesting and very compelling. And so he turns to his disciples and he takes kind of a straw poll. He says, hey, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, you know, Jesus, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're a prophet who's risen from the dead. Now I want you to understand something. Every one of those is intended as a compliment. Every one of them, that's very important. Every one of them is meant as a compliment to Jesus. Let me walk through them and show you what I mean. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament. Let me assume for a minute that you haven't. So you might not be familiar with the name Elijah. Elijah was an incredible prophet in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. He, he did a lot of really incredible, miraculous things. And he knew God so well, and God spoke to him so clearly that he actually would speak for God. 
When he was on earth, to hear from Elijah was to hear from God. He was the mouthpiece of God, and he did amazing things to support that. I mean, kings would shake when Elijah walked into the room. And Elijah, actually, the story goes, did not die. God carried him up into heaven. He didn't die. He just kind of magically went to heaven. And the, and the reason why people are saying about Jesus that he's Elijah is because they're saying this guy does so many miracles. He has so much power and authority in his speaking. He speaks for God so clearly that the only explanation we can think of is that Elijah came back down from heaven. Here he is. He's talking to us. That's an incredible compliment. I mean, if after this sermon you want to email me and say, Pastor Zach, it's like you're Elijah. I'll take it, you know. I'm not above some flattery. I'll take it. The second group of people say, well, no, 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 he's not Elijah. He's John the Baptist. Now, that's even crazier. Now, John the Baptist was a very famous, at this time, public speaker who spoke about religious things, who spoke for God. And in fact, he was such a trailblazer and such a prophet that the government actually killed him. And they didn't just kill him in a garden variety kind of way. They chopped his head off. So some people are saying, when we see Jesus, when we hear Jesus, the only explanation we can come up with is that John the Baptist reached over in his grave, grabbed his head, put it back on with, I don't know, gorilla glue or duct tape or something, and just started teaching. Now that's gross. Sounds like a cable television show. It's disgusting. But it speaks to the amazement that people had at Jesus. The only explanation they could have is that John the Baptist had put his own head back on and was now teaching. That's a compliment. A, a sick one, but a compliment. Then the third category are people going, look, I don't know if he's John the Baptist or if he's Elijah. I just know this. He must be a prophet who's risen from the dead. In other words, they're like, we don't have prophets like this anymore. He's an Old Testament kind of prophet. I mean, he, he, he is a speaking for God, miracle working kind of prophet. He must have risen from the dead. These are incredible compliments. Jesus's popularity was high. Times are good. And yet, And yet, for Jesus, every one of these compliments is an insult. You see, Jesus didn't claim to be a prophet. He didn't claim to be a spokesperson for God. He claimed to be God himself. You see, if you said to me, Zach, you are like Elijah, I I would really appreciate that because Elijah's a better man than I'll ever be. If you said, Zach, you remind me of John the Baptist, I, I, I would really be appreciative because he's a better man than I'll ever be. But if you're God, to reduce you down to Elijah or John the Baptist is to insult you. Here's what is happening. Times are good. People like Jesus. But times are so good, they like him enough to compliment him, but not enough to let him get in the way. You see, one thing that threatens to kill a movement of God is that people appreciate God. People are willing to say nice things about God, to put their good clothes on and go to church and sing things about God, to volunteer at church for God, to write a check to support God, but not to actually let him be God. You see, when times are good, there's this gravitational pull to mediocrity. Times are good. Go on vacation. Save some money. Chase the kids around. Do religion, but not too much, you know? 
Do the Jesus thing, but, but don't get crazy with it. Live a life, live a normal life, eat, drink, be merry. You know, go to church, do the church thing, but don't sell out to it. See, one thing that will threaten to kill the reimagined vision is you and I having a good enough life that we just don't feel the need to deviate. The truth is we, most of us, have it pretty good in this area of the country. And the temptation is always to see Jesus as a part of our lives, but not the center of our lives. To treat him as Elijah, sure, but not as God. Belief isn't easy when times are good. Because there's always a pull to average. But belief also isn't easy when times are bad. Look at the John 6 passage. Totally different passage of Scripture. You can find it in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 66. And in this passage, Jesus' popularity is an all-time low. By the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I really want to encourage you to spend some time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And I want you to read about the life and ministry of Jesus. And one of the things that's going to strike you is that Jesus sometimes is so popular and sometimes is so hated, and it never rattles him. That's incredible. He never wavers from his conviction. No matter what, good times, bad times, stays here. But here's at a bad time. He's just said some really challenging things. His email inbox is full of complaints. People at the water cooler are not saying nice things about him. No one wants to follow him anymore. And he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? In other words, have times gotten so bad that it doesn't make sense to follow me anymore? And that's a good question. Because I can tell you after 15 years of ministry, many people, when life gets bad, say to Jesus, no, I'm not going to follow you anymore. When times get bad, it's easy to get resentful. It's easy to stop trusting. It's easy to say, wait a minute, if you love me, if you care for me, if you're in charge, if you're God, you could have stopped this. In fact, it works the way most weddings do. We say to God, for better or for worse, but we mean for better. In sickness or in health, but we mean Health, in poverty or in wealth, but we mean wealth. And if we get sickness or poverty or bad times, we shake our fist at God and say, you've let me down. It doesn't make sense. And we either leave the church or we come, but our hearts and our heads have left. Faith isn't easy when times get bad. It isn't easy when times are good. In fact, believing is never easy. And by the way, it wasn't easy for Peter either. In fact, Peter is famous in the Gospels, not, not for confessing Jesus. No matter what, Jesus, I'm with you. I could never leave you, Jesus. You have the words of life, Jesus. You're the Christ, Jesus. No, no, no. He's not famous for that. You know what he's famous for? When Jesus gets arrested, Peter denies him. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. And he even swears the third time, which if you grew up in church, you know, that's a double whammy. You can't do that. No, 
You see, when in John 6, when Jesus says, are you going to leave too, Peter? And Peter goes, where would I go? Here's what he's really saying. It's not hot enough yet, Jesus. But when it gets a little hotter, a little tougher, he leaves. In fact, not only does Peter deny Jesus, but his leadership, when Jesus is killed, his leadership is to take everybody to a room, lock the door, close the blinds, and pout. You see, if Peter was at the center of Christianity, there would be no Christianity. Because eventually, faith got too hard for him. See, the story of Peter isn't a story of how we all need to be Peters. We all need to grow up and stand in the gap and be people of faith. The story of Peter is this. If Christianity, if reimagine, if this church hinges on the faith of any one person, be it Joe Coffey or Zach Wyrock or a staff member or a congregant, it will never last. And that leads me to my third point, which is to say, well, then, how do movements last. And the answer to that is there has to be someone at the center whose faith will never waver. There has to be someone at the center whose commitment will never change. Someone whose conviction cannot be rattled. And I'm here to tell you in the center of reimagine is not vision or strategy or pastors or staff or your commitment or your sweat equity or your work ethic or your generosity. At the center of reimagine is what's at the center of Christianity and that is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Because you see, it's Jesus whose faith in God never wavered. It's Jesus who in good times and in bad remains committed. After all, the Bible tells us that in Philippians 2, that he left heaven to come to earth. Even if you, have to, even if you live in Hudson, you'd have to admit that the zip code of heaven is better than Hudson. Jesus has the ultimate good time. Things are great. He's the son of God. He's in heaven. But his conviction and his commitment and his faith to God is such that though he considered equality with God not a thing to be grasped because he already had it, he became obedient and came to earth. Even on earth when times were good, when people wanted to make him king, when his popularity was surging, he never wavered. He never said to God, well, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of great being popular. It's kind of great being a, a well-known public speaker. It's kind of great being celebrated. I don't know if I want to stay committed to you. He pressed through in good times. Never never returning to mediocrity, never, never putting God in a compartment, never, ever treating God as though he were Elijah. But of course, even in bad times, he never wavered. The night that he was arrested, as he sweat drops of blood, he, he prayed and said to God, not what I want, but what you want as he was beaten and mocked and crucified, even on the cross, he said to God, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, I still trust you. And when he rose from the dead, he stood at the center of Christianity and said to us, see, see, I told you. 
I told you, if you trust God, he comes through no matter what. Even in death, he can raise you up. It's Jesus whose faith is at the center of Christianity. It's Jesus whose conviction is at the center of Christianity. It's Jesus who stands at the center of reimagine, saying, forget vision, forget strategy, forget screens, forget pastors. It's me who will lead you where you need to go. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to hear me say this. Do not, do not put your eyes on screens and lights and singers and musicians and pastors and vision and strategy, but consider Jesus. He is at the center of what we do. But brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, as we stand at the precipice of launching this new vision, It's incumbent upon each one of us not to try to work hard enough, believe hard enough, do enough, give enough. It's it's incumbent upon all of us to grab hold of Jesus. After all, when times get really good and and we don't really want to do the selling out to Christianity thing, it'll be Jesus who says to us, I've got something better. I know times are good. I've got something better, something lasting, something deeper. When times are bad and we say, God must have forgotten us. God must not love us. It'll be Jesus who says to us, how could you say that? It's my life and my death and my resurrection that tells you that God loves you. Don't forget, I came so that you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't believe that. You wouldn't worry about that. No matter what. All reimagine is. Is all that the church has ever been. A group of people grabbing hold of Jesus at the center and saying, because of you, because of you, we will go wherever God wants to take us. When that happens, men like Peter, like me, like you, who one minute have conviction and the next minute have doubt, will see an amazing movement of God. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for all that you want to do in Northeast Ohio. All the things you've ever wanted to do, which is to gather people to yourself from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. But God, we thank you that you not only have a vision and strategy for that, but that you do not put any one of us at the center of that. What a crushing weight that would be. What little hope we would have but instead you have given us your own son to stand at the center in good times and bad, to never waver and to call us to trust you just as he did. Father, would you do great things for your glory and for the good of Northeast Ohio? In his name we pray, amen.